Healthcare costs in the U.S. in particular are much higher than everywhere else. I mean, it's sort of, I think the famous economist Yui Reinhardt said, you know, it's the, it's the price is stupid, was sort of the famous paper he wrote years ago. Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. Dr. Darshak Sangavi, who is a former member of the Obama administration and Global Chief Medical Officer at Babylon, is here with us. Welcome, Dr. Sangavi. Hi, great to be talking to you. Yeah, same here. Um, I want to ask you about your sweatshirt in Rwanda. So and I'm sure the audience will be wondering what's, what that's about, if you could talk about that. Babylon is a digital healthcare uh, company, and we use technology to make care more accessible and affordable um, no matter where somebody is. And we got started in the UK. Uh, we serve the US, a number of countries in Asia and Canada. But I'm wearing this sweatshirt because just last week I spent time in Rwanda. And as many people are aware, Rwanda's had a, a pretty challenging history. Um, with a genocide that occurred about just about 28 years ago. And that healthcare system has been gradually been recovering since that time. We at Babylon uh, several years ago worked with the government of Rwanda uh, to help uh, offer digital healthcare, even in an environment like, a, like a, a low income country like Rwanda, where that infrastructure is still growing. There's about 12 million citizens in Rwanda. Now, on the plus side, they all have access to health care, but it's pretty rural and, you know, people are all over the place. And and um, and so what we've worked on is developing a digital platform there. So all Rwandans actually have access to digital care now uh, using um, a cell phone um, through UDDA texting. And so anytime somebody wants to be seen, they can send a text within about half an hour they can see a doctor or a nurse by phone that can help um, them through any medical questions. If needed, then refer them if, uh, to a health center or a district hospital if needed. Um, but it's been really rewarding. And just the scale is incredible. Um, as I said, there's about 12 million citizens in Rwanda. Last year, we did about a million consultations. All we're really proud of is uh, through using um, uh, physicians and nurses who are actually Rwandan as well. So it was, it was a really exciting time to be there. Excellent. And I keep hearing cell phones are everywhere. Does that mean that most Rwandans do have a cell phone? Yeah, or, or have access to a cell phone. And I think okay. one of the nice things about that is that it allows, um, you know, we almost like skip right over a lot of infrastructure issues since cellular technology uh, is so widely available. And, and they have access to it. That's excellent. Um, I understand you were the first permanent director of prevention and population health for the Obama administration. What, did, what was that all about? Can you talk about what you did there? Sure, sure. Uh, so um, when the Affordable Care Act was passed in 2010, it's a, it's a big law that did a lot of different things. Uh, one of them was we wanted to improve the quality and the cost of care nationwide. But the truth is, we didn't know exactly what the right answers were. And so the ACA set up the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, uh, which sat within the Department of Health and Human Services and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And they had the special power. They were given $10 billion over 10 years, and they had the ability to kind of relax some of the regulatory 
burdens and also invest in new models of care and essentially run experiments nationwide. So I was um, I was honored to uh, be the first permanent director of prevention and population health there and helped uh, with a team think of, well, how is it that we can invest in long term better health? And so we developed a number of models. Uh, some of the ones we're proudest of is the accountable health communities model. So that was the mm-hmm. first model that looked at social determinants of health. Um, uh, homelessness, food insecurity, utilities, transportation. Uh, that's now, you know, that's sort of now something that is commonly felt and people talk about in so many different areas, but we were really proud to start that. We also developed the Million Hearts Cardiovascular Risk Reduction Model with the ambitious goal of preventing a million heart attacks, diabetes prevention program, and a number of other projects there as well. So that, that was a, it, was a, it was an amazing time and an amazing team to be part of. And CMMI is, continues to put out models uh, of care, at, and uh, it's always exciting to see what comes out, what works and what doesn't. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you have um, obviously vast background in population health then, and with Babylon, of course, with digital health, and healthcare costs is what Babylon deals with. And I'm wondering, can you talk about, from a high level, what is going on with healthcare costs? Because as much as CMS and the government try to bring down costs, especially for prescription drugs, I keep hearing about costs going up, though CMS released lower premiums and deductibles for Medicare this year. Can you, can you discuss this and try to give us all an understanding of the big view? Sure. Uh, I'll... I think in the simplest terms, so I'm actually a pediatric cardiologist, so I, I'm a physician. Mm-hmm. I still see patients um, as well. And w- I'll use this analogy. With cardiac physiology, we think about when the heart pumps, the amount of blood that comes out of your cardiac output is related to both um, the the sort of the amount that your heart squeezes and the rate at which it squeezes. Similarly, I mean, this is a bit of a tortured analogy, the total amount of cost that we pay is a function of how much something costs, like how much an x-ray costs or a knee replacement, multiplied by how often we do that. So in other words, it's about both the price as well as the volume of care we deliver. And I think uniformly, we experts and health economists can agree we have problems in both of those areas. For example, healthcare costs in the U.S. in particular are much higher than everywhere else. I mean, it's sort of I think the famous economist Yui Reinhardt said, you know, it's the it's the price is stupid. What's sort of the famous paper he wrote years ago? Yeah. You know, I think about my son um, who uh, has celiac disease recently had a just a 15 minute televisit um, at the children's hospital here where actually I trained seven hundred dollars. That's what what we had to. That's what the negotiated price was. So that's one example. The other one is that I think it's also well accepted that we often do too much low value care. Um, And so even when the prices are stable, we tend to do a lot of things that aren't as necessary. So that's the issue around volume. In the commercial insurance markets, I think broadly, we believe prices are more of an issue. In the federal markets like Medicare, it's broadly felt that it's much more the utilization or the amount of stuff we do. So when we think about how we control costs, it actually really depends on what market we're always talking about as well. 
Um, let me see if I can... I'm understanding what you're saying. Care is getting better, and the U.S. is a great place for care. Is that what you're to start with? I think what I would say is that, um, you know, and I say this with a little bit of international flavor. So I mentioned Rwanda. Please. We yeah. also work in the U.K. in my current organization, as well as others. The U.S. is a wonderful place if you happen to be one of the lucky few that has good health insurance mm -hmm. yep. and you're also kind of have enough kind of moxie and wherewithal to fight for things when you want them, get second opinions and stuff like that. It's incredibly great for that specialized care. Where places like the UK are much better though is I would say on average, the access to care and the quality of care and what people can get is probably better. So if you look mm -hmm. at the average life expectancy, stuff like that, the UK is better. But if you've got a rare or unusual condition, a child with congenital heart disease or unusual cancer, I would generally feel the U.S. is better. That's sort of how I think about it. Okay, thank you for that. Um, but with increased care options, that gets more expensive. Is that what you're saying? I mean, there's, and I keep thinking of this with precision medicine and what can be done there and with uh, genetic, you know, modeling that they can do. So care is getting more expensive because if you come down with maybe cancer, there's more that can be done to treat you. So therefore the costs are higher. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's, tr that's exactly right. Is that new technology does drive a lot of spend. And I think that one of the things that we've seen here is that new technology in particular, new medications, new surgeries, the pricing can be very, very high. And it's not really regulated here in the US, right? The federal government doesn't really negotiate drug prices. So, I mean, we've all seen when new cancer medicines come out there, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they may add a little bit of benefit, maybe not a ton, but I mean, I can tell you as a patient, you probably want that little bit of benefit. And so right. that's sort of one of the reasons, at least one of the other drivers of those prices and costs, particularly here in the US. Um, of course, CMS is trying to bring down the, the price of drugs with that new um, ability to be able to negotiate drug prices. I don't know how many drugs that will affect uh, uh, coming out. But having worn the hat of both being with the government, being out on your own, and being a physician, do you have any recommendations for how we can bring down high costs? Yeah, so I would say, and again, I think what I'll give my opinion, but I believe this is what a lot of the research also suggests and where many economists are. And I'll lean on both my CMS experience and others, is that I think many of us feel that we need better pricing in the U.S. to start with. It just doesn't make sense that, as I said, I paid $700 for a 15 or 20 minute telehealth visit. If you're somewhere else in the country, that may only be $200. And we see that all over the place. The prices are just kind of really, really challenging. So we call that all payer rate setting. And in fact, there's, a, there's several studies and a big project in Maryland that show that that can be effective in improving costs. The other thing I would say is, in parallel with that, it's not just about making the costs more uniform, but it's about giving people access to care. Like, and once we do that, then we can invest in the prevention and do all the things that sort of reduce the risk of those unusual events, cancer, preventable problems, but you need to have that access before you end up in the ER. And that's the other piece that's so important. So it's both about access as well as affordability through price. 
and, and getting that together, yes. Um, how does digital health play a role in all this? So I think about it this way, that yeah, um, <laughs> going to see a doctor in an office or a nurse practitioner, it's a hassle, right? Like you need to make your, I mean, I would just challenge many of our listeners right now, how long does it take you to get a primary care appointment if you want one? How hard is it to even find a primary care doctor? We all talk about the importance, and yet when you actually look at what our system encourages, it's just not there. So in many ways, digital health, when it's really kind of rolled out properly, allows you to get access to care much more quickly. Let me give an example. The UK is, a, is an area where, you know, costs are low, but access to care can some, you know, takes a while, you need to wait a few weeks. We at Babylon learned that through digital first services, we can do same day appointments for the vast majority of people, even within a few hours. In the US, for example, it, uh, we can offer primary care visits typically within two hours, 90% of the time for hundreds of thousands of people. So we think that just sort of lowering that barrier is critical and digital health is one way that you can do that. You know, by using multi-state licensed physicians who are all over the place, so you get better capacity. And that in the UK has led to what we believe is about a 15 to 35% reduction in total cost of care. And we hope to reproduce that in the US as well. We're not the only ones that are doing this. A lot of other people have the same idea, but you know, that, that's the idea with digital health. Well, thank, thank you for that uh, and explaining that. But when you're talking about digital health, are you talking telehealth? Yeah. So or are there, yeah. I, I think of it as digitally enabled health. So I think telehealth it, and digital health, it shouldn't just be that we replace a visit with simply sort of um, FaceTime or how we're talking right now. But digital health is also informed and intelligent health that uses data and helps guide decision making even when you're not in front of the clinician. For example, you might want to monitor your blood pressure at home and you want to adjust those medications. We know, for example, that most people who have heart failure are not optimized on their medicines because going back and forth physically takes a lot of time, a lot of visits. That can be done digitally. Another example is, you know, what about mental health? Going in to see a therapist is very challenging for a lot of people, yeah. particularly people who have jobs during the day. And so digital health can sort of address and make that more accessible too. So it's not just about the face-to-face, -face, but it's about enabling that long-term kind of care and helping people navigate through an episode. Um, not to play devil's advocate, but you just paid $700 for a telehealth visit, which most people would say, I don't know how much... Uh, you know, is able to be reimbursed, but <laughs> what are you advocating advocating for that? Like a single set price or? Yeah, so I mean, that's sort of, I mean, that's an unusual experience uh, for yes. us. I mean, uh, you know, like many people, I'm in a high deductible health plan. So I think, you know, it's mm -hmm. important that we who are kind of trying to fix healthcare are actually in the system as well. So we see firsthand where the challenges are. So I think, when I will say two things. The first is, yes, I think that $700 is a lot of money. It's unfair to people that if you have a child who has celiac disease or something like that, you really have to think about that. That's yeah. terrible. I, I, that is unacceptable in my view. So I do think that rate setting should be, should, I think that's very important. But I think in addition to that, 
Um, I do think at least digital healthcare allows us, particularly through new types of paying for care, so that your doctor's not just paid when they see you in person, but they actually kind of get paid to manage your overall care even when you're not in front of them. So digital health is the tool, but the payment models and the incentives, that's the enabler, and those have to fit together to make health. So you're talking better. value-based care. Yeah, precisely. Rather than, okay. Um, COVID, of course, changed much how, how healthcare does business, and especially with telehealth. Um, where do you see us moving now? I mean, I think we're coming out of COVID, but of course we get warnings the fall and winter could be rough. But where, where do you see having learned lessons from COVID as far as the future and where it's taking us? And, and telehealth in particular, we've got 151 days at the end of the public health emergency to decide about it. Yeah. So um, I think many of us feel that COVID as in what it, at least one of the, the things we learned is that when people are given the access and the ability and we remove all the bureaucracy, they like to use digital tools. At the time, I'll give one example. At the time COVID started, I was an executive at United Health Group. And we found that our number of telehealth visits that people took advantage of went from like, I'm trying to think back from like one in a thousand members to almost 140 per thousand members in a few months. Like that's how quickly within months of the pandemic starting people took it. So that's a wonderful sort of and what we hope will be a long term benefit that we've sort of gotten that ability to get digital care. It also, I think, emphasized the critical importance of preventive care and regular care. Even though the pandemic is still, um, you know, by some measures continuing, what we're really dealing with is all of the implications of people who deferred care for too long. Hospitals are full of people that are, you know, with mental health crises, neglected cardiovascular disease, later stage cancer, and so forth. So I think what it also emphasized to us is the critical importance of having a public health infrastructure and preventive health care as well. Okay. And finally, putting on your CMS hat again, where do you see the future of public health or where would you like to see it going? So where I would like to see it go is where we marry together public health and routine medical care and truly create a health care system. Right now, Public health, it's left to the health departments that are woefully underfunded, sort of thinking through how do we vaccinate, how do we improve nutrition. That all sits in a different bucket than all of us doctors and nurses like me that are on the other end. Ideally, we pull those together I, and I through both common sources of funding and also common metrics that we're all accountable for. That, that's sort of the way forward is to merge public health and traditional health care together uh, for the future. Thank you so much, Darshak. It's been a pleasure having you speak on HIMSCAST. Thank you so much. What a pleasure. 